Hey everyone, I'm Dan Cortler, the host of TED Climate. Each episode, we unpack the problems and solutions of climate change. This season of the show, we're getting into some big ideas that make us optimistic about the future, like meat grown from cells and leather made from mushrooms. And the best part? We look at how building a greener future can be an upgrade instead of a sacrifice. Find and follow TED Climate wherever you're listening to this. This is a CBC Podcast. Have you ever heard the end of that old Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life? The little girl sees a bell ring on top of the Christmas tree and says, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Well, where I am, every time the bell rings, something broken has been fixed. I'm Laura Lynch, and this is What on Earth, where we bring you a world of climate solutions. And I'm at what's called a repair cafe, which is confusing since I don't see any coffee anywhere. But I am spying a broken espresso machine over there. I brought in a coffee maker, and it probably stopped working a few years ago, and we just put it up top on the high shelf, started using a stovetop coffee maker instead uh, for a few years, and then I found out about this repair cafe, and I, you know, remembered it and thought I brought it in to see if it could be fixed. This community event is a way to save money and save your stuff from the landfill, but it's also about defying this throwaway age My dishwasher recently broke, and it was a pump issue, and um, they said that the cost for the pump and installation would exceed the cost of a new dishwasher. Replacing instead of repairing. That creates more waste, more consumption, and all of that has a climate impact. There are always big crowds at the repair cafes, people looking to make those coffee makers, computers, and kettles last just a little bit longer. Although, as I heard... They're not always successful. Yeah, that doesn't look good. That doesn't look good at all. Yeah, that's so, bad. Okay. My uh, professional opinion. Should I unplug it? Yep. Holy. <laughs> yeah, it started catching fire, basically. Uh, the pump isn't the problem. Yeah, there was actually smoke coming out of it. Um, I know it's frustrating, this idea of trying to fix stuff that seems to break so easily. But guess what? There are solutions, and we've got some practical tips. And we'll talk about progress on the policy side that happened here in Canada just days ago. Okay, we're going to leave the cafe for now. What on earth? Rachel Sanders is here with me now. Hi, Rachel. Hey, Laura. I'm back again. (laughs) So all of this started with a chat on the show a few weeks ago about my broken food processor. I've got it right here. Yes, it's very familiar to me now. Yes, very familiar. (laughs) The cracked handle here affects this little tiny piece on the bottom that engages the motor. Doesn't work anymore. It's been sitting in my drawer for, do you remember how long? Is it four years? It was five years. Five years, yeah. (laughs) I didn't think it was fixable. I didn't want to pay 80 bucks to replace the bowl for a second time. I didn't want to send the heavy and perfectly working motor to the landfill, so I've just been paralyzed over what to do about it. 
So we asked listeners to share their own stories about their broken stuff, and we got more listener emails about my busted food processor than we've ever had about anything on this show. Well, it was nominally about your busted food processor. What it was really about was everybody talking about their own busted stuff and their frustration. It really struck a nerve. That's right. It really did, yeah. And so I called up a few of the dozens of listeners who got in touch with us, and here's just a tiny little bit of what I heard from them. I've gone through two, and I refuse to buy a third, carpet cleaners, and they clean really well for about a year. The ones I had just stopped sucking up the water, so then you're stuck with a soaking wet carpet. And I know if I throw it away, it's going to feel horrible just because it's just adding to the landfill. It's so frustrating. We bought a brand new vacuum, and less than a year in, we had a problem with the hose. They said that, yeah, sorry, your model is too old for parts to be available. (laughs) Pretty ridiculous that something that is a year old is now deemed old and redundant by those who made it. I'm on kettle number four now, so with my first two kettles, the catch that keeps the lid closed kept breaking because it's just a cheap piece of plastic. We have a dishwasher that's around six years old. All of a sudden, it starts to make a rather screechy noise. So I called a repair company. What they said was, your dishwasher is six years old. You're lucky because they're not designed to last that long. So good for you. You're better to be buying a new one. My refrigerator, the door wouldn't stay closed. When I called around, they said, no, there's a part that goes on the inside of the door itself that is magnetized and it doesn't exist. I did all kinds of silly things. I glued magnets to the door, but then I couldn't get that tight seal. So I ended up dumping my fridge because the magnet stopped working. How frustrating! All of what they're going through, and I can certainly identify with it. I've had my troubles over the years, too. I have, too. So those were the voices of listeners Toshioto, Alistair Jones, Cindy Young, Wendy Jang, and John Lang. And they're just a few of the very many people who got in touch about this. There's so much broken stuff out there. I know. And all of those people you heard have tried getting their appliances fixed or tried fixing things themselves with tape or glue or magnets and replacement (laughs) parts. But it's not easy. Well, it's good to hear that people are trying to fix things. I met so many of them at that repair cafe in Vancouver. And then there's you with your food processor. Yeah, I got some good advice from listeners about how to fix my food processor. You'll remember I tried duct tape. And that kind of worked, didn't it? A little bit, yeah. It got the blade spinning again, but it was not a sturdy repair. Uh, So then I tried having a friend print the broken part on his 3D printer, but we couldn't find the pattern for the piece online. We had checked a database called Thingiverse. Another thing I haven't tried yet, though, is glue. And listener Paul Thompson gave me some good advice about that. He said glues and epoxies are much better than they used to be. And also, he had some good advice for me or anyone else who wants to try ordering a replacement part online. If you're ordering it from the United States, try to have it shipped by U.S. Post. Because if you don't, you'll pay brokerage fees on it. And often the brokerage fees are more than the part and the shipping costs. Man, the information we're getting, that's more good advice. (laughs) I know, yeah, so much good advice. But, you know, Laura, the other big piece of this is the way things are built these days. So many listeners are frustrated by how appliances seem to be built to be semi-disposable. If you could just get replacements and repairable parts, then we would send way less stuff to the landfill. And I think that ties in pretty well with our country's goals to try and reduce emissions and waste. There is an expense, an environmental expense, a climate change expense to producing all this plastic that 
gets used for what a couple of years and then it has to be replaced gosh i just wish there was a way we could let manufacturers know that we are mad as hell and we don't want to take anymore you know like yeah i get it rachel but i guess that's where the policy part comes in because I heard about that at the Repair Cafe as well. We heard Susan Saikam off the top trying to get her coffee maker fixed. If big corporations just don't do their part and the governments don't, you know, put things in place that, that force us all to be better and do better, then it's a lost cause, I feel. So that idea you just heard Susan talk about of governments putting policies in place to solve this problem, that's what's known as the right to repair. Right to repair is a movement, this concept that if you own something, you should have access to the information, the tools, the parts, the software needed to fix it yourself, or you should be able to take it to a repair expert of your choice to get it fixed. So not just the original manufacturer, but an independent repair shop. And another big part of right to repair is requiring things to be made in a way that they don't break as often. And when they do, they are repairable. What a good idea. Right. You wouldn't have an appliance with this critical piece made out of plastic that can't be replaced. Exactly. OK, I'm going to introduce you to someone who lives and breathes this stuff. I have tried to repair my broken stuff um, with mixed results, I'll be honest. So that's Alyssa Centivani. She's an assistant professor at Western University, and she's been doing research on the right to repair since about 2017. One of her personal successes was replacing a battery in a laptop, and she felt really good about that. And she encourages people to do what they can to fix their own stuff or find help at repair cafes or repair shops. But... Sometimes I feel like maybe we put a little bit too much pressure or responsibility on individuals. This is a collective problem. It should be solved and needs to be solved at a collective or structural level. It, it does feel as if the problem has become worse. Things are more breakable than they used to be, it seems. Does Alyssa agree with that? She does, yeah. She said there's been a long-term trend of manufacturers prioritizing more sales instead of long-term durability of goods. And this has really ramped up lately with increased computerization. Things that we normally wouldn't expect to be, you know, highly sophisticated or computerized things like you know, home appliances, our cars, things like that are now full of little bits of computer code. And these are the things that are, are making it difficult to repair the sophistication and the fact that, you know, computer code is embedded in it, which triggers copyright related protections. Copyright is one of the reasons appliances are less repairable these days? Yes, it is. But there are potential solutions to that. And one of them is underway here in Canada right now. There's a bill that just days ago passed unanimously in the House of Commons. Bill C-244, the Act to Amend the Copyright Act, is going to be winding its way through the Senate now. And if it passes, it would allow individuals or third-party repair companies to break digital locks and get into those appliances and devices to make software fixes. Now, this is notable in a House of Commons that we know is so deeply divided that everybody got behind this mm. legislation. I think a few of those MPs have had some broken appliances Maybe. too. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it still could take a while for it to make its way through the Senate. It could, yeah. Alyssa is hoping, though, that it happens soon. She's a bit concerned that if there's an election, that it could just die before it passes. And there's more that Alyssa wants to see the government do. I'd love to see some changes to competition law that would sort of wind back some of the what I would call anti-competitive strategies that some manufacturers are using. So one example of what she's talking about is when manufacturers restrict access to replacement parts or schematics or tools, and that means independent repair shops can't fix those products. So that means you've got to go back to the manufacturer and pay whatever they want to charge to fix your device. So then, Rachel, what does the federal government say about calls for more right to repair policies beyond the Copyright Act? Well, I did email the Department of Innovation, Science and Economic Development, and it said, quote, the government is undertaking pre-consultation work on right to repair, unquote. It said the government is aiming to introduce a larger right to repair framework in 2024, and that might include measures at the provincial and territorial levels as well. Well, okay, so on the provincial level. There is new legislation in Quebec, right? That's right. Yeah. A few weeks ago, the government enacted Bill 29 in Quebec. That's aimed at protecting consumers from planned obsolescence and at promoting durability, repairability and maintenance of goods. Now, Alyssa thinks it might be a bit complicated to prove planned obsolescence. That's this idea that companies might be deliberately designing products to be flimsy. But she says the bill does other things as well. Bill 29 introduces a brand new warranty, which is called the Warranty of Good Working Order for certain kinds of goods. And this is really about just like basic standards of quality. Now, are there similar laws happening elsewhere in the world? There are, yes. And we're going to hear about that next. But before we get to that, a few parting words from Melissa. I hear from a lot of people who are really, really frustrated with the fact that their things break, that they can't be fixed easily. You know, they spend a lot of money purchasing something they expect to last and it just doesn't last. And I would say I feel your pain. There are people who are working on trying to fix the issue. I would say in terms of getting involved with, you know, your local MPs or politicians, let them know that this is an important issue to you. Yeah, that's right. Get involved. That makes good sense, too. Rachel, thank you. Thank you, Laura. And we'll be right back. Paper or plastic? Oh, I forgot my own bags. Um, plastic. No, wait, paper. Hang on, which one's better? I don't know. Don't stress, Neil. The podcast Living Planet is here to help. We know you want to do what's right for the planet, but you're busy and you have to make a thousand small decisions every day. So we endeavor to answer... What's better? Cotton or polyester? Tea or coffee? For answers to these environmental conundrums and your questions, subscribe to Living Planet wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. As Rachel said, there is work happening around the world on the right to repair. And my next guest is deeply involved in the issue, both in the United States and Europe. Hey, Kyle. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, Can you just do me a favor and introduce yourself for our listeners? I'm Kyle Weens. I started iFixit. We help people all around the world learn how to fix their stuff. Okay. Tell us a little more about it. What is iFixit? iFixit is a collaborative, free place where people hang out and teach each other how to fix things. We have millions of people on iFixit, 
every year exchanging information. So we have information on how to change the battery in an iPhone or how to fix a sink. Uh, you name it, we're a comprehensive repair guide for everything. I want you to talk about that, that moment when, when you knew that you had to expand iFixit to be what you call the Wikipedia of repairs. Uh, yeah, so I, I, part of that, that was going on a journey. I went to Accra, Ghana, and there's, a, there's an onion market uh, called Eggbug Bloshi. It's a place where folks are scrapping uh, not just computers, but all kinds of electronics, things with copper, and they're extracting the raw materials. And I met some kids that were, you know, six, eight years old who were literally setting computers on fire to mine them for copper. And they're using the they're using tires to to do that burning of all of that waste that's coming in from all over the world. Yeah, it's a disturbing thing. And I mean, I I was fortunate. I was there on a windy day. So the fumes, and the, the smoke, which is just acrid and all encompassing, blew away. I was talking with some of these kids and I'd be like, you know, so how do you feel? And they're like, well, you know, I, not great. I kind of have a cough. And I, well, how long have you had a cough? And they said, well, about six months. Well, when did you start working here setting things on fire? Oh, it was about six months ago. Yeah. Just an absolutely horrific uh, working environment. But they're just trying to make a living. And so... My question was, you know, seeing that, seeing kind of the horror of a horrific situation they were in, they were saying, well, how do I not put them out of a job, but elevate them and give them a better job? And so if you wander around the onion market and you kind of go outside of where they're burning things, there's folks who are fixing computers and they run these internet cafes. And, and I asked the folks running the internet cafes, I was like, hey, how did you learn to do what you do? And he said, oh, we just go on the American forums and we Google for things. And so that was the light bulb moment. It was like, aha, if I make the internet better at fixing things, it will lift the tide globally, not just in my community. And there you go. There we have iFixit. Okay, we've been talking about what individuals can do, but what do you think the policy solutions are to this problem of devices that, that break so easily and are so hard to repair? Well, we, we need to go back to a default assumption that things are going to be fixed. And I think a really good example of that is increasingly the things that we buy have batteries in them. Uh, and it used to be you bought something that had a battery and you could swap out the battery and now they're glued in. And what that does is that takes a product that was durable, that was repairable, that could potentially last for decades, and it makes it last as long as the battery does, which usually is two or three years. So we're taking all of the products in society and saying, hey, let's artificially limit their life to two or three years. And that's just crazy. That's kind of like if you went to buy a car and BMW was like, hey, here's the shiny new car. Oh, and by the way, we welded the tires on. When the tires wear out, buy a new car. Uh, like none of us would put up with that with cars, but we do with cell phones. Like when's the last time you saw a cell phone with a swappable battery? Right. So that's one example of what you're talking about here. What's the policy solution? So the policy solution is a, a systematic approach to say, hey, manufacturers need to make parts, tools, and information available. And then we also need laws to make tools competitive so, so that there is a marketplace for repair tools. California just passed the Right to Repair Act. I'm wondering how, that, how did it feel for you to see that law pass in your home state? <laughs> yes, yeah, so we're in California. So we have been tilting at this windmill for a while. We've been trying very hard to get it passed in California. California actually had the world's best warranty law already. The California Lemon Law requires companies make some kind of repair option available for seven years. And, and so the right to repair law amends that to say, not only do you have to make some kind of repair, you have to enable people to repair it themselves and you have to support competition. It is very exciting to see this this happening. Okay, for all the praise of the California law, where do you think it still falls short? 
there, there's a few challenges. One is it only goes back to products made starting in 2021. It also doesn't address some kind of innovative techniques that we've seen companies use to stymie repairs. There's something called parts pairing, where if you have a phone with a screen, that it's actually a serial number on the screen that's tied to the serial number on your phone, and they make it very, very hard to swap without going through their ecosystem. So we are hoping that future state laws will ban parts pairing, and we'll also go back farther to cover all the products that we've already bought rather than the products that we're going to buy next. And in Europe, that, that takes a different approach on this. What, what's happening there? Europe has a, a little bit more aggressive intent to modify product design. So the laws that have been proposed in the U.S. and Canada are really around the ecosystem, the support system around these products. In Europe, they're saying, hey, that doesn't work if the product isn't fixable in the first place. And so Europe is actually banning those glued-in batteries and smartphones. Uh, and we're optimistic that this shift toward batteries that are readily removable starts to move into all products globally. Now, like like it or not, a big part of our economy is based on making and selling new things. So what would it mean for workers if our appliances actually did last longer and didn't need to be replaced as often? What the, we've shifted the world. It used to be that things were made in our neighborhoods, but they're not anymore, right? Most things are made in Asia and then they're imported and we use them for a while. We toss them into the landfill and then we buy another thing and it gets made in Asia and imported again. So we're not really creating a huge amount of economic value when we buy new things. If we can fix things, we actually have the chance to really systematically increase the amount of uh, repair and jobs in our economy here. You think about fixing a, a phone, you know, you're going to hire someone, maybe you pay $50 on labor locally, that's $50 going into your economy rather than going and buying a new device. If you went and bought a new phone for $500, there's no way that $50 of that is going to come into the local economy. So uh, a circular economy based more around services and maintaining the products that we've already got would be much better for everyone. It's also about affordability, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you, you take a, you know, you're going to put a, $50 new battery in the phone or replace it for 500 It's It's just a no-brainer. Now, now, just back to the to the legislation aspect. In the U.S., 30 different states introduced right-to-repair laws. Only three of them have passed. So it sounds like there's still a lot of work to be done. I'm really excited we got three done. <laughs> three <laughs> is more than we've done before. I, to put this in context, we have introduced hundreds of right-to-repair laws over the last decade. And we've passed three. <laughs> so a success rate of three out of 30 is, is much better than we've had historically. But th it just takes time for new ideas to get introduced to, to be mainstream. The White House held a big event yesterday talking about how right to repair is a national priority now. The Canadian government has made right to repair part of their party platform. And so I'm optimistic that this is an idea whose time has come. We had to work through some corporate opposition. We're feeling optimistic about where we're going, but we can't let off the pressure now. Okay. And you know, Kyle, over the past two weeks, we've heard from more than 100 listeners about their broken stuff. <laughs> and it all started with Rachel Sanders' famous, well, it's now famous, food processor. So I, I'm wondering if you can help Rachel finish this journey because Rachel is actually here with me in studio. Hi. Hey, Kyle. <laughs> Fantastic. Did you bring the food processor? I did. I've got it right here. Can you hear Amazing. it? <laughs> it's like her pet now, I think. <laughs> it's got a broken... You should name it. I should. <laughs> yeah, so it's got a broken, it's got a crack in the handle. It affects how it engages with the motor. I've tried duct tape. I've tried 3D printing. There's no pattern. What's your advice to me and to our listeners about how to deal with broken stuff like this? 
Well, so the first thing to do is to go and see if you can get a new bowl from the manufacturer. Will they sell you one? They will, yeah. It's pricey, but I think that might be the thing that I need to do. And and I, I would recommend, by the way, before you buy the next thing, whatever it is, Google online and see if you can find repair parts for it. That's the easiest filter. Like if I'm going to buy a food processor or a toaster or whatever, uh, are there parts available? Even if they're expensive, at least it's less than the new one. Then you get into, you know, these DIY kind of kludgy fixes. Um, kind of know, what fixes? Kludgy? Kludgy. I love that <laughs> word. Is, what a, is... is a hack. Okay. Uh, yeah. So trying to think of, you know, can you use chewing gum to fix it? Right? <laughs> and, and in your situation, that might be possible, right? Like like holding the thing together, you've tried to use duct tape. Yeah, I have. And I've heard glues are better. Glues and adhesives and, and sticky stuff has improved over the past few years. Yes, they, they really have. Yeah, generally, we recommend a two-part epoxy. I probably wouldn't use super glue for something like this. It tends to be kind of brittle and it will break. Ooh, wow. Okay. This Good is to like know. having our own little repair cafe. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Kyle, what, just, just remind us though, why is it worth fixing an older appliance instead of buying a new one? Well, think about the, so you have the environmental impact of digging all that material out of the ground and making it, but also let's think about the human impact. Like someone had to put that together. There's a large amount of you know, intent and effort that goes into the things that we have and then shipping across the world and getting it to you. And and clearly you were happy with it, right? It was working just fine. It's it not like you want good. to upgrade to the faster food processor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so we say, you know, they don't make them like they used to. And that, that is not just a saying, it really is true. So like, I would imagine if you were to buy a new food processor and compare it to yours, the new one probably weighs less. That generally is not necessarily a good thing uh, because they're using lighter components that, that could break faster. Certainly your bowl where that broke, if that was a heavier duty plastic, it probably would last a lot longer. That's another thing you can do, by the way, is before you get something, look online and look at repair information, and then it'll kind of give you an idea. Like if you're looking at a food processor, is the drive shaft made of plastic that will break or is it made out of metal? <laughs> so a little more research before buying the thing in the first place. Yeah. And then don't be afraid to spend more, uh, but you don't, it doesn't always cost more to get the better version of the thing. You, I, I have been known to go online and shop for things like price per pound. Like how am I going to get the heaviest possible thing for my buck? <laughs> Kyle Weens, you, you've illuminated us over a number of areas here. Um, I think Rachel and I both want to say thank you for your time. Thanks, Kyle. Absolutely. Okay. Good luck. That's all for us this week. The show was put together by Vivian Luck, Rachel Sanders, Danielle Piper, Molly Siegel, Matthias Wolfson, and Catherine Rolfson. I'm Laura Lynch. Thank you for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.